Hey, Mike, how are you? Always a pleasure. Doing well. Yes, likewise. So listen, this is a question that I know you get asked a lot. We're going to dive right into it because this one um, you know, might take a little bit of time. And But I think a lot of people are very curious about this because you obviously have a master work, which is a guerrilla mindset. Um, and, and you do a lot of blogging and you have for a very long time. You, you started it with a legal blog and then you went into some like kind of self-help kind of stuff. And then, you know, but guerrilla mindset and, and all these different, you know, uh, writing, whether it be a blog or a book or, you know, long form writing. So the question that I see actually posed a lot on, on your Twitter feed and I've heard people ask you as well, but it, it's always hard to kind of lay it out in, you know, a, a five minute conversation with somebody if you're you know drinking a glass of wine and smoking a cigar is what is the best way to approach writing a book or or, or writing a long form blog and and how do you kind of break that down if you've got an idea you know i know that right now you're going through the process of uh well you've got audacity uh that you've been uh you spent a lot of time on over the past year so how does somebody like you who who really has had a lot of success writing how do you approach writing as a craft if it's nonfiction, it's a little bit different than fiction. With fiction, you know, you're storyboarding and whatnot. With nonfiction, you just write every day, uh, half an hour to one hour, just essays. <clears throat> and then the essays become a book. The way I put it is you don't write a book. No one writes a book. You write a bunch of pages and then you organize and fold the pages together. And that's how Guerrilla Mindset came to be. I was writing about discrete subjects here and there. Okay, how to have more self-confidence or how to do this or how to do that. And then you start to piece them together and categorize them. So you're saying as, as simply as, and I I know it seems so simple to you because you've been doing this a long time, but there's a lot of folks out there that don't know anything about writing. They never do it other than craft maybe an email to their boss, okay? But you're saying that you actually took your blog posts, reworked those a little bit, and made a book out of that and then added added material and mm -hmm. if, if it's nonfiction, everything is about communicating a truth about the world and i always ask people what do you believe to be true about the world and that's a little abstract but that's the genesis of it so i believe it to be true about the world and true about ourselves that we're able to rewire to some degree the software running in our mind and that so then right there i would say okay there's your mind is software. Just write your mind is software. You can rewire it. Well, how do you rewire it? And now, you know, now you have, I don't know, 15,000 words probably from there. And you treat, you treat every subject like that. There's like with tech stuff. There, I, I, you know, the third person who, who set all this up for us, I would just say, well, you know, write a blog. Okay. Well, you know, what do you, what do you need to do a podcast? We need a condenser. Well, what's a condenser? A condenser is because you is called the problem of knowledge, which is that we all assume that everyone knows what we know. So we therefore don't explain what we know. Well, you just need a condenser, the condenser and the amp. Well, okay, well, what's an amp? How does an amp work? Why would you need an amp? Editing a podcast, why would you need trouble? What is trouble? The troubles, whatever. And, and you go from there, subject by subject by subject, and then you have, then you have a book. That's nonfiction. If you want, I read a book, for example, about the Winklevoss twins. They were early Bitcoin investors. Well, how do you write a book like that? Well, that would be a and and the uh, guys that own the face or started the Facebook, right? Yeah, and that's mentioned in the book. 
Well, who are these guys? Where do they grow up? That's that's the subject, but you can't you have to do it segmentedly, right? So if I'm writing the like I wrote a book on a bunch of essays on fake news hoax book, which I don't I don't plug much for whatever reason, but I would just write essay. What's it like to be X? What happens here? What you know, what is what is fake news? What does that really mean to call something fake news? And then you would say, well, fake news is as much about not reporting what's true as it is about reporting falsehoods. And we, we notice that where there'll be big stories that the media just won't cover. And that's a form of fake news. And then you write and then you show examples. And then you follow if you're writing. Uh, you learned all this when I grew up anyway, the five paragraph structure, right? Opening paragraph. Closing paragraphs or three body paragraphs, topic sentences. And and if people have writer's block, you just say, This is a book about X. And you make it very overt, very direct, no flowery language, no editing. This is a book about how to improve your mind through mindset. Mindset is your underlying beliefs about the world and your relationship with the work. And you keep typing that out. And if you ha if you get stuck, read more. Um, I always tell people read Aristotle. Why? Because he defines his terms. So if you're doing how to do your first deal as a real estate agent, you would say, well, the first thing I do when I'm buying a property is I look at cash flow. Okay, well, what's cash flow? Right? P people don't know, but in your mind, you think they know. And right? So you would say right. well, cash flow is so you you explain that. Or you would say, I bought it with an ARM. Well, what's an ARM? Adjustable rate mortgage. Okay, but what does that mean, right? Adjustable rate mortgage. Well, I bought it on an adjustable rate mortgage, which means that the interest rate could go up dramatically if market conditions change. Well, what market conditions would change? And now you see, you're like, oh, because everything, every time you use a term, you have like 500 more words. So people go, writer's block. And I go, I don't have writer's block. I have anti the inverse of writer's block because I'll say right. well, you need to be more mindful. Namaste. Well, what is mindful? Well, mindfulness is awareness without judgment. Well, what is awareness without judgment? And can you ever be aware without judging? Because if I'm aware, then I'm judging because judgment is about creating boundaries. So people go, oh, I'm going to go to a, a mountain and meditate and be mindful. And it's like, well, how do you know you're not going to fall off the cliff? Right? So you're walking and you clearly know there's an edge. And then you say, okay, well, what really people are saying is you want to do less moral judgment, less self-criticism. And then, so there's that chapter in Guerrilla Mindset where I just say mindfulness is blank. Do, 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 you know, 10 different ways to conceive it. So then you realize, okay, mindfulness is about turning off the inner judge when you're experiencing something maybe new or novel or where you're trying to remove from the judge because there's too much judgment in you. But the flip side is a lot of people probably need more judgment because they're living just completely debased lives. If anything, they need to, to, be, to be less mindful and more judgmental. So you, see, so you just pick subtopics. So you go, okay. And then you write it. And now, now you have to organize it. And then that's where you just do it. Um, I, use a, I use an app called Scrivener because they let you do – you can move things easily. So you write in, you know, 515 word essay and you end up with 100 essays and then you start moving the essays up and down. Other people, they just print out the pages, which is another way. 
And then you say, okay, I'm going to move these three pages here, those three pages there. And then you have the rough basis for a manuscript and then editing happens. And Can you talk a little bit about Scribner? What is software? I, I assume it's a cloud-based software program. Yeah, it's a software program that people use to write books, fiction or nonfiction. Okay. So it's a word processing program that organizes your material as you write or allows you to organize your write. So let's say, for example, you, you write in Word and you have 40,000 words or 50,000 words in Word. You're going to yeah. like copy and paste, control X, control Z. You're moving things around. Things don't format mm -hmm. properly. With Scrivener on the right-hand side of it, you see your word processing, just like Word or WordPerfect. And then on the left, and then on the left, you see all the essays as they populated. And then you can see, okay, I've, you know, so if I were writing a book on Audacity and I had one on e-commerce store, then I would say, or, you know, web traffic or website building, I would say blogging, podcasting. And then I'd say, oh, okay, I'm writing about podcasting. I'll move this essay up under the podcasting section. And then I'll move the essay and the blogging part under the content section to try to distinguish content creation and the mechanics of it to mindset. Because again, and this is what goes into writing a book, and we talk about this on Audacity, you need two things. You need the mindset, the belief that what you say matters, that little rah-rah, right? Right. But there's still mechanical side to it. You can have all the belief in yourself in the world. You can have all the competency in the world, but you still don't have to put, you still have to know how to put pen to paper. You still have to know how to organize it. You still have to have a way to, to, to organize it. And the best way to do it is you just write 500 to 1500 word essays a day about a subject. So if I were helping you write a book and the way I would do it is I would just say, okay, walk me through your first deal. And then you'd walk me through your first deal. And then I would say, what was your biggest fear about the first deal? And then you would say your first fear. And it would be a bullshit fear. Well, Mike, you know, I just wasn't sure what would happen if I didn't make it. And then I would say, uh, you know, fuck yourself. That's not really. What was your real fear? And then you get vulnerable. And then you get that vulnerable fear. And then you have your hook. And then you leave with your hook. So in James Altucher's book, Choose Yourself, he said, I had a gun in my mouth and I was about to pull the trigger. And that's the yeah. nonfiction. Okay, you're hooked now, right? Right. But he probably – you didn't get that line until the thousandth revision. So I, like I have a story in Gorilla Mindset where like I was laying on the bed crying myself to sleep and my dad was like, are you just – when are you going to get serious? And it was just a very poignant scene. But you don't write that. You're, I, that was the last thing I wrote. And that was the beginning of the book. But I have right. the essays and then as you're going, you're going deeper and deeper into yourself and becoming more honest and authentic – then, but that's mechanics, right? And you have to know to move that. I had a gun in my mouth, and I was about to pull the trigger. You need to, you need to somebody tell you, need you need to leave with the, the hook like that. But people will spend all day trying to find that hook. Oh shoot! Because you write, because you read a book from beginning to end, so you think the book was written from beginning to end. Wow, he came up with this great story about, you know, he was just sad, pathetic. And when I think of Mike, I think he's just like you know, strong guy and why well, I can't believe it. Right. But, but I didn't begin with that story. I, I remember I was in a Vietnamese coffee shop inside on and the book was done. And then, and then I found, and then I came up with that story. So people, if you read it though, beginning to the end, you think you write a book from beginning to end, but you might write the th 300th page first, 
but you don't know it's the 300th page because you don't have enough material. And then what happens is as you write a book, your better, your later material is better than your early material because you get into the flow and the craft. So then what you wrote later, you put earlier because you leave with the strong stuff. So now so, you- So this exercise though is kind of, I, I guess if somebody wanted to write a, a book about how to restore a 1963 Porsche 911 and they're actually doing it, like they're physically going through and, and putting the new muffler on there and rebuilding the engine, then each blog post, if you will, would be about a certain component of doing that. And then you would write, you would do this every day. I, I, here's 500 words about you know, how I put a new steering wheel on, on the car or 1500 words about how I, you know, fix the air conditioning system or whatever. And then at the end of this, you might come up with this thought of, oh my gosh, you know, I, I rebuilt this car because it was my father's car and he passed away and he handed me the car. And so maybe that's your hook when you come in, but you don't really know that until the end, but this is all really just a blog essentially that's reassembled into a coherent book. Right. And then that's when you might have like a, it becomes a more of a memoir. It might go from just how to. So here's how to put in a spark plug. Have you ever watched mm -hmm. Jalen's Garage, by the way? Yes. Yes, I have. Yeah. So I don't even care about cars. I've watched probably 200 hours of that show. And they talk about, oh, there's this little pen and you have to 3D print it. And that's interesting to me. So right. that would be just an amazing book. Oh, you, you have to put in a spark plug and here's how a spark plug works. And you had to get, I had to go down to this antique shop on a farm somewhere and found the car. And then, and then you, the immersive experience of how you came to be doing it becomes a bigger story than the spark plug. Cause you had to, I met this farmer in Amish County and this, these Amish people didn't care about the only, I don't know, you're just making it up. Right. And now you have a much more interesting, compelling story and you just write it all down. Same thing with you and I've told you with filming and stuff. Get the B-roll. You Cut it later, but you'll be glad you have it. If you want to write a book, write every day for a year. Get 100,000 words. Too many words are better than too few. Because we can cut too few. We can cut too many words. We can just say, oh, these blocks need to go away. Same thing when you're filming. Oh, do we have a shot of, you know, sometimes you just need the most random shot. Like in, in a hoax movie, for example, we needed a shot of somebody making coffee and we're like, Oh, so we had to go shoot it because we were talking about a scene in fight club where Tyler Durden says, my people are the ones who wait, wait on your tables and make your coffee. Right. And so you need the visual aspect. So we had to go shoot that. And you, so you never know what you're going to need. So with B roll, I would tell the guys just go on a street and just shoot that scene. Something might happen. Something might not. Just get an hour of footage, buildings, you name it. The same thing with writing. It's better to overwrite. And then you start chopping things down. And it, it should take a, a year, and then you have a book. And then three months to edit it, and now you're good to go. But again, you have to know that the way you read a book is not how that book was written. That book was not written beginning to end. That book was more likely written what you read early on came last. What you read last was probably what came first. Okay. And so what makes, what, I guess as a, let's do a minor example here so I can really drive this point home. So 
you and I visited the uh, the Banksy exhibit in Bucharest when we were there. Mm-hmm. And when we went up to the rooftop, we were at the roof of this this structure, right? And we happened to be taking some photos, and there was this photo. I, I, I can't remember if I took it or maybe you took it all, you know, a selfie photo. I can't remember, but it was a picture of you. And in the background is this burning building. Right. right. And so neither one of us knew that this building was on fire until we got to the roof. Right. Cause we were down on the ground level. You didn't know. And, but in a way that's like catching lightning in a bottle, right. That turned out to be a very popular uh, Instagram post for you. And because you came up with this great caption uh, for the photo. So in writing, a lot of times, there's some book that just captures that, like, special moment or whatever that is. Is there a way to, like, goose that or, or cajole that out of what you're writing? And, and if so, how, how do you get that? Like, what makes, what makes Gorilla Mindset such a masterpiece, you know? And, and how did you, did you know that it was that way? Well, it was – I knew that there were times when I was writing the book that I was actually, like, crying. So if you're writing a book that's very spiritual, then and you're not feeling emotional to it, then you're not imparting your spirit into it. And that spirit, that je ne sais quoi, that soul, that's something that comes at uh, a much higher level. And it comes from like everything else. You just keep putting the work and you keep going deeper. Like when I, cause you, you've been on the receiving end of me where you'll say something. I'm like, come on, Mike, this bullshit, you know, like you're lying, you know, you're outside of my house. And I'm like, no, you're lying actually. But you're yeah. not to me. You're lying to yourself. Like, well, Mike, I don't think so. I'm like, I'm like, well, you're lying to yourself still. Right. So there is, there is that introspection that comes with it where you're just like, oh wow. I didn't realize that I was afraid of this or I didn't realize that that memory was still with me, or I didn't realize that I had this fear of vulnerability. I didn't, and then, and then as you're doing that, and you're imparting that on the page, and you're you're sharing that with the with the audience, and then that's what makes a book go from a very sort of bland, generic how-to manual to something that feels like a magic. Yes. But that for your spirit to come in, that you know, that just takes the longer you work on it, the more your spirit's in it. So basically, it is exactly what you said. It's spending a year writing about writing and writing different things, and then eventually you start to capture pieces or elements that are really special, and you feel that because you've been writing for a year. Maybe in month nine, you're like, "I just finished that blog, and damn, that was really good." And do you ever get that where you'll? I, I know you. You know, if you go on your website or into your archives, I mean, you've been writing forever. So there's tons of Mike Cernovich stuff out there. But do you ever sit back and, like, in your backyard or wherever you write or at the coffee shop or whatever, and say, "Holy shit, that was a really good one." The you know, in audacity, yeah. And I'll give you a good example. So we know that I like Ryan Holiday's work. So this is no shade at all. Ryan Holiday wrote a book, Perennial Seller. Which is kind of a – it's a book on how to make work that lasts. I read it. It's a good book. But it, it there's no soul to it. You don't okay. read it and feel like moved. You don't read it and th- think this is poetry. And okay. But it's a great book. People should read it. This is not hate on him. And you can tell that he just – he wrote it and released it. And that was fine. And it's a good book. But it doesn't have – 
and it hasn't done as well as some of his other books, like The Ego, because you know where he he writes in a more kind of authentic, vulnerable um, way. So you can write a good book that's mechanistic and gives you all the steps, but you you have to weave in your own story. And in so contrasting that with a book I just read, The Hard Things About Hard Things, which is a major venture capitalist guy, um, Ben Horowitz, I think. And that was more like a thriller, even though it was like a business how-to book, kind of. And there were sure. a lot of great business lessons in there. He, you know, he talks about there. There was a line in there. You know, I wish I could find it, or if we could, um, you know, I'll, I'll see if I can find it real quick while while we talk. Well, but in an, another book like that, uh, probably very similar. I, I haven't read the book you mentioned, but Straight to Hell ha is in a lot of ways, all about, you know, M&A work over in Hong Kong and China and Indonesia. But the storytelling within, you know, this this book is really captures you and kind of feel the essence of what's happening there. And that's a book straight to hell, which uh, John Lafarve uh, wrote, which is really, really a great book to read. But it has that, of course. Uh, the Art of the Deal has that as well. I mean, Trump's book, uh, some of the stories that are in this, those chapters, each chapter is very different. Um, but uh, some of the stories that he weaves in there are really, you know, uh, pretty captivating. Yeah. Yeah. And that's how this book is. And I, I can't find the exact quote, so I'll paraphrase it. But you know how before you're about to do something, oh, I'm going to go hit on that girl or I'm going to do this. People go, what's the worst that could happen? You know, yes. Like, it's not, so there's a line where he said, I did that exercise where I thought, what's the worst that could happen? And I concluded that 250 families would not have money for Christmas. And that made me feel even worse. So, yeah, yeah. And, and the way he nails it really is true because most 99% of the time people are like, oh, what's the worst that happened? You're like, yeah, that's actually not bad. And that's how you get over the fear and you feel better. But instead you're like, oh, yeah, the worst that can happen is this company just failed. Everybody was relying on me. And their dads won't have money for Christmas presents. Now I feel worse. This right, is, right. And there are so many just gritty scenes like that. And the book, and so that book has soul. That book, you feel it. That book, you're, you're in there embedded with him versus a very sort of mechanical book like The Perennial Seller. And then Gorilla Mindset is more like in between. So it is how to, but it's interwoven you know, with my own spirit. And then Audacity is more like the hard thing about hard things, where it's just a lot of personal stuff. It's semi-autobiographical. But Scott Adams did a good – that genre is hard to do because if you're too self-involved, people are like, oh, God. Uh, you know, oh, God, I don't want right. to read your memoirs. But you, if as long as you find that balance between – like I'm telling you what happened to me, not just to navel gaze, but to contextualize it within a lesson that you can learn from – and if you nail that, which Scott Adams did with How to Fail Nearly Every Time and When or Hard Things About Hard Things, you do end up with a book that's very special. But people, it's unlikely most people ever write that as their first book, right? And that's why a book I recommend to people is called Write, Publish, Repeat. And you finish your book and you know what you do? You start your next book. And what was your first book? You did have a book out prior to Gorilla Mindset. I didn't have a real book. I did okay. as, as a test run. I just do experiment. I have like a juicing ebook or something just, okay. uh, just so I can know, like, am I actually uploading? Because self-publishing when I started was still relatively new. So it's like, does the file actually load? You know, will it actually work? 
Grill Mindset was my first book, but I had written for 10 years. And I had done long-form blog posts, and there were probably three or four books within the blogs that I had written. So yeah, in a way, like in a very concrete way, it was my first book. But if you measure a book as I do, which is a collection of essays, there I'd written at least two or three other books before that. So do you recommend, say, you, you've got a guy, he's 33 years old, and he's been working for 10 years or so out of college, and maybe as an accountant or something um, somewhat mundane, and he wants to go and, and write a book. Should that guy go back and, and do college? Should he go back and not not right. go back and do college, but should he go and sign up for like a creative writing course at his local university? No, do you recommend that? No, he shouldn't write. Writing is for people who can't not write. Writing yeah. is for people who can't not write. So when people say, I want to write a book, I say, no, you don't. How dare? I'm like, no, you don't. Because if you'd want to write a book, you would come to me with like essays and say, I've written all this stuff. I don't know what to do. There's just something amused inside me. There's just some voice I have to do. It's like, no, you don't want to write a book. You think you should want to write a book. Or you might think it would be helpful to your career to write a book, which is a perfectly legitimate way or motive to want to write a book. It is because uh, now you have a book and you do public speaking and you seem more legit. There's all kinds of great reasons to write a book mechanically. But people who just say, I, I want to write a book, no you, no, you don't. Writing is a mental illness of sorts where you feel like you have to write or you can't function. And that's why the best writers tend to be tortured souls. That's why for me, it's been, you know, writing books like these are harder for me because I just hang out with my daughters. I have this like inner peace. It's just things are so good. And writing is very, a very raw process. It's very emotional. And if you just think I want to write a book, you no, know, you, no, you don't. You think you should want to write a book, but you don't. So don't because you probably won't make any, almost certainly won't, not probably, 90% chance you won't make any money at all. And 1% right. chance you'll maybe make six figures, maybe. And it takes a lot of time to do it. So I, I would address my advice and the mechanics of writing to people who are already writing and don't really know what to do. Or maybe they want to write, but they have writer's block. And then you realize, oh, I, did, you know, I, I didn't have writer's block. I just realized that what I thought wasn't worth writing about actually was worth writing about. And then, and then you end up with a book and you keep going on it and you could end up with something special. But I, but I think I, there's an exceptional mindset lesson here because in a lot of ways, if you strip away exactly what we're talking about, about writing, this goes back to a podcast that we did um, a few weeks ago regarding real estate where we said, is real estate for everybody? No, it's not, right? Because there's all these pieces. And if it was really for you, you'd be driving around every weekend looking at houses and trying to find deals online and all these things. And you're, you'd be bringing somebody like me, hey, I found this killer deal. We got to buy this thing. And, you know, but people do, they'll come to me and say, hey, I, I want to invest in real estate. I'm like, really? I mean, do you really want to get involved in that? Because there's all these markers that you would see if you really wanted to do that. And so this is a mindset thing that applies to writing as well and, you know, hundreds of other things is if you really wanted to write this book, if you really thought that this book was that important, you would have this ream of manuscripts and things that you've already written and, you know, uh, handbooks filled with your own writing and a blog that's overflowing with, you know, all this writing. And, and the leverage question coming back to somebody like you would be, 
how do I put this together into a book that somebody would actually want to read? Right, right. And why do I want to write it? What's my motivations? You got it. You always have to know. Most people don't because we were evolved to lie to ourselves. We're always the heroes in every story. No matter what happens, we over-exaggerate our own importance because it's necessary for survival. So we're wired that way. And then it's hard for people to to get into their motivations or maybe because of social conditionings. Like me, for example, I, at least in the past 10 years of my life living authentically, I would never say, I would never feel embarrassed to say, I just write because I want to get laid. Now, that's not true. I had other reasons, but I wouldn't feel bad about that. Most people would, would say, well, I don't want to admit that I want to write a book to improve my social status so I can meet more rich people and maybe I have some hot chicks who like my book and we hook up. Most people, oh, that's not why I'm to serve the world, to to make the humanity a better place. And there's probably some of that too. But becoming a good writer requires you to just be, well, to be a good writer, you can still lie to yourself because you're just doing mechanics. But to be an inspiring writer, you have to get deep into yourself and about who you really are because that's what connects you to the human condition to where you can just say, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to play an instrument because chicks think that's cool. And I want to meet more chicks and 99% of people will never have the self-authenticity to admit that. Well, and I think and, that's why you have like a singer like kid rock who actually, I was watching an interview and he said virtually what you're saying here is uh, the interviewer had asked him, well, why do you make this music? I mean, how connected are you to it? And he's like, I make this music, man. So I'm rich. I get laid and I can just travel around the country. And, you know, that that's where he's at with it. Right. And so it's very authentic and it is actually authentic to his brand. And maybe that's why people are attracted to to him. Yeah, people are. And they are. And also his music is a little more like mechanical, but that's fine. It works. People like it. There's an audience for it. The really, the really soulful people, at least that that's also why people don't do it's been shown, right? The Rolling Stones, they haven't had a hit since they were 27, right? And there's something to be said for your biology and your your brain, you know, changes as you get a little bit older. And there's also just a lot to be said for they start off as a tortured soul and then they get everything they wanted and creativity is as much about necessity and angst because the, the stuff that people write is, is quite beautiful and deep. I mean, a song that I mention a lot, like his Pearl Jam, Old Lady Behind a Counter. And then it's about a woman who a, a man comes in from out of town and she's serving him coffee. And there are lines like, I change, but not changing at all. And being trapped in a small town and she didn't really do or live the life she maybe could have. And he did. And I seem to recognize your breath. There's just so many beautiful lines. And you look, you're like, so they were like 22 when they wrote that or 19 or something like that. <laughs> How right? is that possible? Right. right, right, right. But then they get older and they're like boring, conventional people. Yeah. Because then you'll see Eddie Vader talking like, wow, you're just a really boring guy. You don't have anything interesting to say anymore because whatever issues they had, they resolve through their music. So now they're just conformist, built toes. Okay, you have the whatever society allows you to think you have those views. So you're going to be this view on gun, this view on climate change, this view on Trump, this view on whatever. And there's no more authenticity or beauty to anything they do. And 
that happens to most Axel Rose, right? You look at Appetite for Destruction, or you know, I, I like woke Axel Rose because maybe most people have never heard of, um, his, you know, his songs about um, quite quite offensive songs that he yes. wrote in his old day and quite quite vulgar. And now he's just another boring, conventional person who thinks and talks like everyone else. So writing is probably that way. You're just you're working out your own issues on the written page. And then you come out with something that people find beautiful and compelling or inspiring. Charles Bukowski was that way. He would say that um, well, he's got so many great quotes, but he would say that I hate you to his audience, but I feed you and I feel I feed your spirit. So you feed me. So he would just channel his his hate and his, and his poems are beautiful. His hatred, his vulnerability, his insecurities about being ugly, pockmarked face, big nose, being an alcoholic, being in dysfunctional relationships. And he would just channel that vulnerability and authenticity. And even if he doesn't like people, people can connect to that. Okay, yeah, there's a line, memories are no substitution for the present. There's yeah. a poem about you're in, he's in a classroom and the professor sees the young lions and he realizes he's an old lion and all he has now are memories. Memories are no substitution for the present. Whoa, this is this is really heavy, deep, right. deep thought and deep feeling. And then of course you go to Rick. Rick Flair would say, "I, I bleed red and they give me green." But you do, you do. If you want to hit the highest levels, you do have to bleed on the page. And the process is a formidable process. You do have to go deep in yourself. What your greatest fears are, what you're vulnerable about what concerns you have about the broader world. And then you have to put that onto the page and into your art. I, I've heard people say that your mess is your message, right? That you, uh, you draw inspiration from those, uh, those times that you got punched in the face, those times you hit those brick walls and things. And I think for a lot of people, it's really hard to get in there and, and talk about that. And they want to, you know, run in the opposite direction of that, but that's probably where some of the greatest inspiration and, probably some of your greatest work can come from. Yeah, that's why most books aren't very good because people do. Um, everything is about, I'm cool. Everything I've always done is cool. Every failure I had was great. Didn't really care. It's like you didn't really, you didn't care. You didn't think about killing yourself when you thought your company was going to fail and everybody's going to laugh at you. You thought you had no money. You didn't have irrational thoughts. Well, you're the only entrepreneur in the history of the world who has not thought about suicide over owning a company. Right. But right. you read these books and how many entrepreneurs are going to say, yeah, I mean, I, I thought about, you know, I just thought about killing myself. I realized it was irrational and stupid and I had to refocus it. But your mind goes into a very dark place. Elon Musk has talked about that, actually, where yes. and there's videos of him where he's almost crying and people like make fun of him. And I'm like, OK, you people are making fun of him are idiots because that tells me you've never really had your your blood into the combat you've never gone all in on anything if you're laughing at him crying me i'm like yeah man i mean i wasn't there with a multi-billion dollar company but like i know what it's like you're just like what did i just do i can't believe it and then of course because nobody talks about that authentically you can't like me i steve jobs had a good video i tell these young guys yeah you'll plead bankruptcy you got any kids no you got a wife no okay yeah your company's going to fail probably. Uh, you'll go play bankruptcy and whatever. You'll start over. And then, right. and then people are like, oh yeah, actually, yeah. Why am you know why would I? Why am I freaking out? 
when really that's like the worst that's going to happen. Or even people in like your position, my position, it's like, okay, you know, do my, are my kids taken care of? Yeah. Did I stash money away from them? Yeah. You're like, okay, so like, why am I freaking out so much? And the answer is because if you really care about a company, that there is no divide between you and the company. You right. are the company. It would just be like if somebody came in and hit me with the baseball bat and the ribs and I, ugh, you know, gasp and, and, you know, hit the ground. If you have a company, that's how you feel about the company. Everything that happens to that does feel like a blow to you. Yes. But in the genre of business books, it's all just look at me. I'm a cool guy. Everything I've ever done is the coolest. And I, I suppose there's a there's a market for that, although not many people ever really break through the herd because people have seen that enough times. And we don't we don't need another book like that about how you're cool you are and everything you've done is like the coolest. Right. Well, that, that's I, amazing stuff. And uh, appreciate you, you know, sharing with us your thoughts on that, because, uh, you know, I think a lot of people, myself included, think, you know, uh, some of your work really is master class work. And so it's, it's always great to hear that from somebody like yourself. Well, and objectively, I'll say it is like I've told people before, um, like I, I don't believe I'm a very vulnerable guy, an authentic guy. But just objectively speaking, there's no book like Real Mindset out there. there. There just isn't. And I've I've read through I've read through the genre. There is nothing like it. Right. Well, it's just what I think. Like what you said before, Gorilla Mindset blends story with textbook. Right. It's it's a hybrid and it's an odd hybrid out there. And so for that reason, it stands out as exceptional. Or Choose Yourself by James Altucher would be up there too. And so there are some like in that tier, but. In terms of what most people think is quote unquote self help, yeah, there's nothing like it. It's either too confessional or it's too mechanical where you don't feel anything when you read it. You don't feel that connection. Right. Yeah. And so that's what I was trying to get at earlier with some of those questions was, you know, trying to harness that because certainly you harness that with, with gorilla mindset. So that, that's thank you for sharing. Oh, thank you. Thank you for listening. And audacity will be even better. Yeah. So everybody pick that up. And I know Mike's put a lot of work into that. So folks, thanks for joining us today. And Mike, you got anything to add on that? Nope, we're good. All right, folks. Thank you.